Bibles and turn to the book of Proverbs, chapter 2. We started this new series last week that will take us into the summertime of going through the Old Testament book of Proverbs, which is one of my favorite books of the Bible. It's a book of wisdom for anyone who will listen. And we said last week that uh, we're getting back into our habit of just going straight through books of the Bible verse by verse, but at the same time, Proverbs is a little bit different. It doesn't really lend itself to that kind of approach. And so for the first maybe nine-ish chapters, we'll go roughly sequential while drawing from other places as well. And after that, we'll switch to a topical system where we uh, investigate the wisdom of Proverbs uh, in each topic that it addresses. But today we're in chapter two, uh, and we'll be looking roughly at this entire chapter on the value of seeking wisdom. And so let me ask if you would please join me, if you're able, in standing for the reading of God's holy word. Proverbs chapter 2, starting in verse 1. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart. Knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you. Delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech, who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil. Men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house sinks down to death, and her paths to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. So you will walk in the way of the good and keep to the paths of the righteous. For the upright will inhabit the land, and those with integrity will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land, and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. Heavenly Father, thank you for your book which makes us wise, wise unto salvation, wise unto Christ-likeness. We pray now that your spirit would guide us in this time. Lord, teach us, uh, be our guide and our teacher as we open your word. We pray that you would use it, Lord, to form and to mold and to shape our hearts and our lives that we might live in a way that is pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, we pray these things. Amen. Please be seated. So in 1848, that's one year before 1849, John Sutter was working at a river in Northern California when he noticed something very shiny among the rocks at the bottom of the river. 
it was gold. And that was the beginning of the famous California gold rush, which was most famous the following year in 1849 with all the 49ers who were coming. Now, I want you to imagine for a moment, but don't imagine yourself as John Sutter or anyone in California finding the gold. I want you to imagine yourself as just a regular, normal, kind of working class person in New York or Boston or Philadelphia or D.C. or Baltimore, and you pick up the newspaper and you read the headline that gold has been discovered. And it's in the rivers, it's in the hills, and it's available for the taking. But it's in California. And the only thing to do is you have to get to California. And this is 1848, so there's no airplanes that cross the country. There's not even a train yet. It's 20 years yet before the first cross-continental railroad will be completed. There's not any paved roads with air-conditioned cars that you can drive to California. So your options for getting from the East Coast to California are probably your best option is to sail, get on a ship, go around the southern tip of South America and over to San Francisco. That'll take about five months. You could go through Panama, but there's no Panama Canal yet. So you will land on the Atlantic side, go for a week-long hike through the jungle, and board a second ship on the Pacific Coast side and sail to San Francisco. Or you could try the California Trail, which is a trail, like a dirt path across Wyoming, Utah, Nevada, and into California. Those are your options. They're not good options. No matter which way you choose, it's going to take a long time. There is a decent chance of not making it, of contracting some deadly disease as you go. It's nearly impossible given the length and the difficulty of the journey. But in 1849, over 300,000 people made the journey one way or the other. Because there was gold in the hills and the very prospect and the possibility that there's simply gold available for the taking. You can just go into a river and pan for gold and find wealth in ridiculous amounts was so attractive and the allure was so strong that people would do whatever they had to do to get it. Whatever it meant, quitting their jobs, uprooting their family, risking life and danger and hardship for the possibility of finding that treasure. And what Proverbs says in chapter 2 is to seek after wisdom like you're seeking after hidden treasure. Where it says, verse 4, if you seek for it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Proverbs encourages us over and over to seek wisdom do whatever it takes to get wisdom. Look at chapter 4, verse 7. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. Right? That's the first lesson, is that if you are wise, you are a person who pursues more wisdom, who continues to seek after it. 4, 7, get wisdom. Whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly, and she will exalt you. This is the value of wisdom, this hidden treasure which... which uh, the Father in these, in these chapters, in these verses, encourages us, seek after this, make this your pursuit. And I want to break this down today in these four ways, the value of wisdom, the pursuit of wisdom, the blessing of wisdom, and the good news of wisdom. The value, pursuit, blessings, and then the good news of wisdom. But the first lesson is simply to recognize the value of wisdom. 
Look at verse 1, chapter 2, verse 1. My son, each of the first seven chapters of Proverbs begins the same way. My son. Right? Now this is a literary device. It's presented, the whole book is presented as though we have a, a father uh, presenting the, the wisdom of father and mother together, that's mentioned, to a child. I think the, we kind of assume it's probably a, maybe an early teenage years child, but it's the wisdom of a father for their son. And, and we are invited, as we read Proverbs, we're invited to take it up and to put ourselves in the position of the son. And we're going to listen to our father because he has wisdom for us. Right? This teaches us the, the posture that we're invited to take as we begin the book of Proverbs. And it invites us to take a, a very humble posture, a posture that is eager to learn, a posture that recognizes that our father has wisdom. Right? Our father's older, he's been around, he has wisdom, and he is sharing it with us. He's offering that wisdom for us to learn. And we are invited then to receive it, to open our ears, to listen. We have to approach wisdom with this posture to listen to Proverbs. And what does he say? My son, here's the first lesson. Seek after wisdom. Seek after wisdom. It's one of the first lessons and it's one of the most repeated lessons in the first few chapters of the book of Proverbs is to get us to see the value of seeking biblical wisdom. Right? We, we need this. And this is what we have to recognize is we don't know the value of wisdom. We don't know how valuable it is. In ourselves, we're, we're born as fools. Right? We're born as these simple ones who simply don't understand what is what in the world. We don't understand the value of different things. And we need to be taught what's valuable. Right? Don't we recognize that about ourselves? That in, our, in ourselves, our lives, we need to be taught what is valuable in life. We need someone to teach us what is worth pursuing. Right? Because there's a lot of different options out there. And we, and, and we will hear in our lifetime many different voices that will call to us and say, this thing over here is worth your energy. It's worth your time. It's worth your money. Right? It's worth giving your life to. This is a worthy pursuit to, to buy into this or that program. And, and we don't know. We need to be taught what is valuable. When I was in middle school... I was a very avid collector of baseball cards. I had a, a pretty growing collection and it got fairly big. It's still there in the closet at my parents' house and, and I look at it somewhat longingly every time I'm there. But when I was starting out collecting cards, you know, I would get together with my friends and we would trade. But when you're starting out, you don't know the value of different cards. Every card has its own value, right? Based on uh, who it is, what company made it, Right? what kind of condition that card is in. It all affects the value of the card. And if you're going to engage in trading, you have to know what your cards are worth. Else you're going to make bad trades. You're going to make bad decisions what to do with these cards. So I subscribed to Beckett Baseball Card Monthly Magazine. Right? And every month I got a magazine in the mail and it was all about baseball cards. And in the back it just had an enormous list of every single baseball card and what it was worth. And it would tell me, here's the value of all your cards. So when we're trading, we would always have that magazine there to make sure we were making fair trades. Proverbs is kind of like that. Right? Proverbs is all about telling us what is valuable. It's saying, here's all these different things in life. Here's the ones that are valuable and worth pursuing. 
here's the ones that are not worth your time. Because in ourselves, we don't know. We don't know. Uh, so it will say things like, uh, a peaceful home is to be valued more than riches. Right? Because we will face decisions that, that, that these two things hang in the balance, and we might not know which one to pick. We might not know which one to seek. We might want to seek riches. That's pretty great. I like riches. Proverbs says, seek peace. Seek honesty. Seek purity. Seek the knowledge of the Lord. And it will say those things are more valuable. Right? So it will say something like a, a, hum, a dinner with herbs where the Lord is is better than a feast with ungodliness. Well, I like feasts. That sounds good. But it says, no, what matters is the fear of the Lord. What matters is humility. What matters is are you growing in your love for the Lord and your love for your neighbors? Treasure those things more than worldly signs of success. So Proverbs is all about telling us what wisdom is. Because in life, we're constantly bombarded with these choices. What do I seek? Which is worth my time? Right? That, that's what life is like. We hear voices saying, you know, pursue money because money will give you happiness. Right? Money gives you stuff and stuff makes you happy, so pursue that. Right? We hear that voice. Uh, we'll hear other voices that say, pursue acclaim. Right? If you have the favor and the acclaim, of, of this group or that group, you're set. Right? That's what life is about. And it'll tell you to pursue that. Right? If you're living this way or that way or whatever, we're bombarded with these voices on every side. And so Proverbs comes and Proverbs says, listen, <clears throat> here's what's valuable. And the first thing it says, the first lesson, wisdom, walking in the fear of the Lord, knowing the mercies of Christ and pursuing Christ-likeness Every area of life, right? Proverbs is about taking the, the value of holiness and Christ-likeness and pushing it into every last nook and cranny of life. I think that's what wisdom does. Wisdom teaches us how to walk in the fear of the Lord, but in every nook and cranny of life. And it says doing that is the most valuable thing. So that's the value of wisdom. And the first lesson is this is valuable. Very easy, simple lesson to hear at least, not simple to learn. But then it tells us the pursuit, the pursuit of wisdom, because if wisdom is the most valuable thing, how do we pursue it? And what Proverbs says is this, it says wisdom is both a gift and it's a pursuit. It's both. It's a gift from the Lord, the Lord gives wisdom, and it's also a pursuit that we are called to be pursuing, uh, chasing after like hidden treasure, seeking it like it's silver. It's both, it's gift and it's pursuit. And, and so here's, here's one way I think about it. Uh, and I go to the New Testament because we're, usually most of us are more familiar with the New Testament and sort of the structure, especially, you know, Paul's letters are, are easy to us. We read those a lot. We study those a lot. In those letters, Paul always begins with the gospel, right? He tells us what is true, what God has done for us through Christ. And then there's usually some transition where he says, therefore, right, live out of that. Right? Live out of the mercy that you have received in Christ. Therefore, as you, have been, uh, as you have received Christ as Lord, now walk in him. There's always this transition. It, it's, it's the gospel first and then how to live in it. I, I think Proverbs actually has a similar structure, even though it's not nearly as obvious. But what Proverbs says is the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Right? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. 
So the whole foundation is the fear of the Lord. And what we said, we said last week, the fear of the Lord is this very complex set of emotions that's kind of all grown out of a long-standing relationship that's, that includes fear and reverence and awe, but also love, right? And a, and a true understanding of his compassion and his mercy to us. So the fear of the Lord is, is what we call gospel fear. It, it's not a, a fear of actual afraidness. That's only one component. We also know that God loves us, gave his son for us to save us. And so it begins with that whole gospel fear foundation. And it says that's now the beginning of wisdom, of learning how to walk in Christ, of learning how to pursue holiness. And the wisdom of Proverbs, it doesn't sound like the holiness of the New Testament, right? The New Testament says, love your neighbor. Proverbs says, um, he who goes to his neighbor's house early in the morning will be counted as cursing. Which is saying, if you want to love your neighbor, you need to think very broadly and deeply about how to do that. How, how do you communicate love to this neighbor of yours? What sort of actions can you do that will be received as love? And, and when do your actions, no matter the intentions, are actually counted as cursing? So it's taking the basic components of holiness and saying, let's think about how these work now in every different area of life. Let's really go broad and deep into every nook and cranny of life. And so, and I I say all this not only to explain wisdom, but to say in the New Testament, this holiness, it's both gift and pursuit, right? The gospel is pure gift. We do nothing. It's pure gift of God's grace. But now, walking in holiness and pursuing Christ-likeness, it's a gift of God's grace, and it's something we are constantly told to pursue, to work on. And that's what wisdom is like. Wisdom is a gift of God. He says, chapter 2, verse 6, for the Lord gives wisdom. Now, why does he say that? Right after he's, he's given all these verses on pursuing it, seek after it, treasure it, go get it, and then say the Lord gives it. Because it's both. It's both. The Lord gives wisdom. Uh, James 1, we mentioned again, James says, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. And that's true. God gives wisdom. And because God gives it, therefore, seek after it, value it, treasure it, go wholeheartedly towards it. Wisdom is available to all, and it's out there. It's to be pursued. It's not just out there for those who are already wise. It's out there for those who don't have it yet, right? That's why we pursue it, because we recognize, first, we don't have it yet, right? We are simple. We are sometimes foolish. We need the wisdom that Proverbs has to offer. It's a gift. It's also a pursuit that we are to treasure and value. Now, that is the value of wisdom and the pursuit of wisdom. Or the, uh, yeah, let's talk about the value. Was that my third point? It is in my notes, The value of wisdom. The blessings is what I called it earlier. The blessings of wisdom. Because this chapter tells us a lot of the blessings that come to us when we have wisdom. And this is why we pursue it, right? Wisdom is valuable because of the blessings that it brings with it. And it's valuable because of what it does for us. Look at chapter 3, verse 18 for a moment. Chapter 3, verse 18, it says, She, and it's talking about wisdom. So wisdom is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Wisdom is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Think about that imagery for a moment, because I think that's very profound. There's actually only three books in the Bible that mention the tree of life. It's Genesis, 
obviously. It's Revelation, at the very end. And then Proverbs is the only other book of the Bible that mentions the tree of life. We know what it is in Genesis, right? In the midst of the, the Garden of Eden where God has placed Adam and Eve, there's the tree of life that gives life. Adam and Eve have access to it. They could eat of it until they sin. And when they sin and they're exiled from the garden and God kicks them out, you remember specifically he says, he kicks them out and he puts the cherubim there with the flaming sword to protect the way to the tree of life. Right? They're banished from it. They have no access to the tree of life. But it comes up again at the very end, the book of Revelation, right when it's describing the new Jerusalem, the new creation, the new heavens and the new earth. It says, in that new Jerusalem is the river of life. And it says, on either side is the tree of life that bears its fruit, 12 different kinds of fruit, each month of the year. And it says, its leaves are for the healing of the nations. And so, this tree of life that, that when we sin, we lose access to, it's, it comes back at the end in the book of Revelation. And once again, we will have that access to life and immortality. And so, not to state the obvious, but that's one of the central blessings of the created world is this tree of life that God gives in the garden. And it comes back at the end. But it's a blessing reserved for the pure. Right? Sinful man may not enjoy it. But here we are in Proverbs, and this is the one other place it's mentioned. And what Proverbs says is that if you have wisdom, that is like a tree of life. Right, that here we are as sinners, we don't have access to the actual tree of life to eat of its fruit and to take its leaves for healing. But it says if you have wisdom, that's kind of like a tree of life because it's filled with blessings and that sustains you. It's a, it's a picture of these blessings that here is wisdom. Wisdom is for those who know the fear of the Lord, pursuing Christ-likeness and wisdom. says that leads to life. That leads to healing that leads to wholeness, that leads to all the blessings that we associate with paradise in the Garden of Eden. Right? Chapter 3, verse 8 says, it will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Right? I mean, to me, that, that makes me desire to pursue wisdom like silver. Right? Here is something that when you find it, it's like healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. It's like a tree of life. It gives the blessings of life. Right? This is part of the, the uh, perspective of Proverbs, is that foolishness always leads to death. That's why it's foolish. Wisdom always leads to life. That's why it's wisdom, and that's why it's wise. Uh, some scholars say that the tree of life, even in Genesis, they say that was, it was not the kind of tree that you took one bite of it and you had immortality forever and ever, but it was something you went to regularly. And as you ate of it, it sustained life. That's wisdom. Wisdom is not something you just you read Proverbs once and you get it, you're wise, and you have life. Wisdom in Proverbs is something you always pursue. It's a path that you're always walking. It's a direction you're always going, something you're always receiving. And it sustains life. You see, in Proverbs, the wise person, it's not the, the sage sitting Indian style on the mountaintop dispensing his wisdom to, to hungry pilgrims. In, in Proverbs, the wise person is just, it's the ordinary person, the person on the street, but it's the person who's walking in the fear of the Lord. It's the person who's walking with Christ. 
It's the person who with all their energy and with all their might is focused on becoming like Christ, learning wisdom, seeking after that, who knows the value of it and is going that direction. Right? It's, it's the person who is receiving God's word. Verse 1, if you receive my word and treasure my commandments within you, if you're making your ear attentive, you become wise. That's the wise person. Right? It's not the sage. It's just the ordinary person who pays attention to God's word. And day by day and step by step and little by little, it is, their heart is being renewed in the image of Christ. Right? Because the Spirit uses the word of God and, and when we internalize it, the Spirit presses it on our hearts and he uses that. He uses that in our lives. And so just ordinary believers, we are the people that Proverbs says we should be pursuing wisdom and we become wise through Proverbs. That is the wisdom of the Lord that, that begins with simple, uh, the fear of the Lord, right? It begins with the gospel fear. And it builds on that into the image of Christ. And Proverbs says that is wisdom. Now, I want to look at this chapter because it outlines some of the blessings that wisdom gives. Uh, first, verses 11 through 15, wisdom keeps you away from sin which leads to death. Wisdom keeps you away from sin which leads to death. So, uh, well, I'll start in verse 10. Wisdom comes into your heart and will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil, men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. So here's one of the blessings of wisdom is that wisdom will protect you from that. Right? It protects you from those whose paths are going into darkness and it keeps you on the path of life. One of my favorite sermon points that I've ever heard, not my sermon points, I heard this uh, probably, uh, gosh, 17 years ago now, 18 years ago, from a, it was from a ruling elder who was preaching a sermon and he made the point, sin makes you stupid. And that is so true, isn't it? And it's so memorable and, and I mean... I don't remember a lot of sermon points from sermons I heard 17 years ago, but that one has stuck with me. Sin makes you stupid. Wisdom guides you away from sin. Wisdom protects you from it. Right, because, I mean, we all know that's true. Sin ultimately is foolishness, because when, when we sin, we're choosing that which leads to death. Right? Now, I mean, we know we're saved by grace. We're not saved by, by our works, but, but sin is that which leads to death. And so when we're tempted by it, Right? We're choosing to take a little bite of death, to go a little step down that path. And Proverbs says, the blessing of wisdom is that it protects your soul. Right? It protects your heart from these things. It watches over you. It guards you. Now look at verses 16 through 19. Here, the father puts a little finer point on that. Right? It's saying the same thing, that wisdom protects us from sin, which makes us stupid. But in verses 16 through 19, he says, wisdom also helps you avoid sexual sin. So he's putting a finer point on it. And he's going to point out here one particular area of danger, adultery and all of the related sins that go with it. Now in this sense, doesn't Proverbs just feel so timeless? I mean, this was written 3,000-ish years ago, and yet to me, verses like this feel like they could have been written this week. Because we need to hear wisdom like this. Here's a father who's saying to his son, 
uh, son, in this life you're going to face many temptations. And the best defense is the fear of the Lord. To be learning wisdom. Right? The, and the father in Proverbs pulls no punches. He's very straightforward. And he's very clear. He knows that there are temptations to adultery. All kinds of related sexual sins. These temptations are everywhere. They affect everyone. They're strong temptations. And they're dangerous temptations. He knows the danger. He knows the danger. And if this was a problem 3,000 years ago, how much more is this a problem today? How much more is this a problem to us in our culture today? And the question is this, how can we find help? How can we find freedom from these temptations and these sins? And the father says to his son, walking in the fear of the Lord will guard you. It's like a, a fence around your heart that keeps you from pursuing the ways of darkness. And again, it's, it's not a simple thing, but it's, it's having this, this relationship. That's what the fear of the Lord comes from. Right? It's this complex thing that is developed over the time of a relationship in which we know the Lord. We know his, his sovereignty and we know his mercy. We know his love towards sinners like us. That gospel fear is like a set of internal guardrails inside our hearts that keep us from swerving. Right? That internal knowledge of God's mercy is what teaches us to say no to ungodliness. Isn't that what, what the New Testament says? It says the grace of God has appeared that teaches us to say no to ungodliness. The, the New Testament doesn't protect you from temptation by putting up lots of law. It protects you by saying, do you know the mercy of God? Because that's what teaches you to say no to ungodliness. It is his kindness that leads us to repentance. That's what Proverbs is doing as well. It says, to know the fear of the Lord, which is to know his mercy. That is the guardrail that keeps our hearts from giving in to temptation. It's not just about the, the rote strength of willpower to say no to temptation. It's about the knowledge that we have a relationship with a, a, our own high priest who is faithful and who is sympathetic and who knows what temptation feels like. And it says, when you walk with one like that, to be in his presence has a transformative effect on your heart. He's so pure, he's so powerful, he's so faithful, he's so kind, he's so merciful, that that itself has an effect on your heart. It says, if we walk by grace in pursuing wisdom, it protects our hearts from sin. That's how wisdom protects us from death. Now, last point, <clears throat> and this is the good news of wisdom. This is the good news. I, we're going we're gonna to do a lot in studying Proverbs together. We're going to talk about a lot of issues. And if you're like me, you may feel two different responses at the same time as we read Proverbs. On the one hand, I, I love Proverbs. I always feel drawn to pursue these things. I want to be wise. I know I'm not wise yet, but I want to get there someday. It sounds great. And so there's this, there's this draw and this pull towards wisdom. Uh, but secondly, it, it's hard to read Proverbs and not feel guilty, isn't it? It's hard to read it and not feel this the sense of conviction that, wow, I'm a fool. I haven't lived this way. How much of my life now have I wasted not pursuing wisdom? Here's a father teaching his son, well, I'm not a kid anymore. And we feel regret and we feel despair. What do we do with that? What do we do with that? We have to know what to do with our guilt. 
right? Guilt's not on its own always a bad thing. It can be a good thing, but we have to know what to do with it. If all you do is listen to that voice of guilt, that just drives you into despair. That doesn't help. But the gospel acknowledges our guilt and invites us out of it. It tells you there's forgiveness in Jesus and there's no condemnation for those who believe. In, in a gospel fear, our guilt can be good when it reminds us to humble ourselves before the Lord, to, to walk in humility, and to be bold in Christ, and to rest in him, to lean on him, to abide in him. Right? That, it can do a good thing. It can do a sanctifying work in our hearts of, of driving us away from ourselves and towards Christ, and it ought to do that. We need to listen to that gospel voice of guilt as well. Look at Proverbs chapter 1. If, if you have your Bible open, chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. Here is uh, the call of wisdom. Here's wisdom calling to you. It says, how long, chapter 1, verse 22, how long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? Verse 22, if you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. If you turn at my reproof, I will pour out my spirit to you. See, Proverbs is not written for the wise. If you're already wise, you know, I'll just give you a free pass. You don't need this sermon series. It's not written for the wise. It's written for those who are not yet wise. It's written for the fools, the simple, those who don't know the world yet. And it calls to us. And it says, will you turn, right? Will you turn at my reproof? In other words, when you hear these Proverbs that make you feel guilty, that's good, now will you turn? Rather than continuing to pursue the thing for which you are guilty and, and which you now recognize as foolish, will you, would you turn? That's wisdom. Will you, will you repent of that sin? And will you begin to, to commit yourself to walking in wisdom, in the fear of the Lord, at pursuing Christ-likeness? Proverbs is not a rebuke. Proverbs is an invitation. And 31 chapters of wisdom give a lot of opportunity for invitations, right? Because it gets into all the nooks and crannies of our lives and helps us to see how, how broadly we need Christ, how, how deeply we need Christ. In every area of life, it's going to root out these little, little sins that we haven't even been aware of yet. But it's causing us to think more deeply about what it looks like to understand the fear of God and then to follow Christ and to pursue his wisdom in all of life. And if, we have, if we have understood his mercy, if we have understood that the grace of God has appeared to us and it teaches us to say no to ungodliness, what will we then do? How will we then walk? You see, the, Prover- the book of Proverbs is good news. It's good news for the simple. It's good news for us because it's an invitation to walk in the fear of the Lord and to pursue the wisdom that it offers to us. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for Christ. We thank you uh, that you invite us to follow you. That you have given us the gift of, of what it is to know Christ and to walk in his mercy, to know his grace, and to feel now the call of wisdom through the, through the work of your spirit on our hearts. We pray Lord, that that over these weeks as we study this book, that your spirit will press them on our heart and use them. Use them to to call to us, to, 
convince our hearts to turn at, at your reproof and to seek a new gospel obedience in the fear of the Lord. May we do this and pursue it all of our days. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.